And now, beautiful people going fast on fire. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, Kino Club Edition. Welcome to True Fiction's Kino Club Edition. What is Kino Club? A group of film lovers get together and watch a film. Then we meet after and break down what we saw. This is a warts and all recording where we share the good, bad, and ugly. And there will be spoilers, so be warned. This meeting we reviewed the 1968 procedural police drama, Bullet, starring the man, the myth, the legend, Steve McQueen. Rotten Tomatoes gives this movie a 98% fresh rating from the critics and an 85% fresh rating from the audience. And here's what Rotten Tomatoes says about the flick. Steve McQueen is cool as ice in this thrilling police procedural that also happens to contain arguably the greatest movie car chase ever. Without further ado, Kino Club discuss Bullet. If you kids don't know it, Steve McQueen was a bomb, y'all. We're going to be talking about this movie. And what did you guys think about this? I will start out. Uh, I really liked it. I know we have a, a divergent viewpoint on, on this one, which I, I'm, I'll be happy to try to convince people of the rightness of my opinion. But... To me, one of the things that I really liked about it is I felt it was very true to sort of the environment of its time. For example, there was a big controversy uh, in law enforcement and corruption in law enforcement in that time uh, frame in some of the big departments. I know for uh, the Los Angeles uh, Police Department was considered having real corruption issues and you know there was a lot of protection so to speak of the the mob and that was the the way they handled those issues as i learn more about true history it feels uh congruent with that you know i'm not saying it's exact how that was how that that was during that time frame but it felt very true to that and one of the things that i really liked is you know, most current movies, I can tell you how it's going to end within 15 minutes of where it starts. And I didn't I didn't know how it was going to end up till the end. For me, I'm not, it didn't feel like it was focus group tested at the the ending. So I like that part of it for personally for me. I like so I like I thought the cinematography was very was very good. And they was doing a lot of things cinematography wise that I don't see a lot of in those the movies in that time period. So that's my initial thoughts. One of the things that I, I will tell you one thing that I did like about it and it was the opening and it starts out with a super wide shot above San Francisco. What was amazing about it is they basically, this super wide shot came down. I mean, you can see the building tops and you've seen the traffic as little cars. And as it, as it dives down, you basically focus on one car. And I thought, and first I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then I thought what they were working with back in the day, that was really cool because that was all practical. And I, I, I really appreciated that. And, and there were shots like that through the movie. There were shots that I really appreciated. I will say that there was a lot like that, that I really, that I definitely dug. It felt like, and I don't know, I don't know the history of it, but it felt in a lot of those moments like it was a first or an experiment. Quite often it felt, the movie felt very experimental to me. Visually editing, there are you know, a lot of different things that we haven't gotten into yet. But I do remember watching that, that initial shot and being pretty wowed by that. Like that was, I mean, we've all taken practical photography. I know at least Pat and I have worked, you know, we've done dark rooms, so we know the limits of film, you know, so, so, uh, and I could tell there at the end that it seemed like they pushed the shot just a little bit because the grain grew up, right? Like, so it was like they were zooming in on the right. frame itself, right? You know, kind of compounding that effect. But you know what? I, you know, I don't know who would have known that in, in what was it, 1971? I don't 68. remember. 68. Okay. So, but still, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic effect that they don't even do a lot now, you know, because it's hard to do. And, how what my number one question how did they stabilize that shot you know three you know and i i don't know because i don't know that we had i don't know that we had uh norbert's probably the the biggest expert on steady cams that we've got 
And I don't, I don't know how they studied that shot. Not an exterior shot like that. So my guess is that they had it. I, I don't know this. I, I don't know if they had it on a gimbal on a helicopter, but they definitely had it on a hel helicopter because they didn't have drones back then. So sure, sure. You know, I was wondering if they just didn't have it on a, on a building, but if they had it on, and that's another thing. When you say had it on a helicopter, then what Mike says is even more amazing to me that they had this shot on a helicopter, and but it was pretty damn smooth, you know, coming yeah. in. And I don't think I don't think helicopter steady cams really came into their own until the early '90s. I remember, you know, and and so. Uh, that level of stabilization of the rig, you know, and even mounted on a building at that altitude, at that height, the building itself is going to be moving wind. All, I mean, just, just try to use a 300 millimeter lens. You know, I don't even know what they were using on that, you know, like a 3000 millimeter or something, you know, no way, no way. That, that was really cool. So I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you that that shot was fantastic. So we're going to say, and I think through most of the movie, I would say, the cinematography was really good. They did a really cool thing that I liked a lot that they still do every now and then basically was in that shot. And they just used that shot where they kind of, uh, they focus on something and then they zoom in to a certain extent. They did that in the, in the hospital. They did that shot in the hotel room and the, the woman was killed. And, uh, and that was, I mean, it was cool how they did it because what we do now, these days, we don't zoom in so much. We basically cut to a close, cut to a close up, you know. Right. So I like these zoom in. Um, I, I like those. It, it, I don't know if it dates it, uh, but it, it's something that I enjoy in cinematography when they do that. The, the one thing, another thing that they did that I thought was, they it was a, kind of a forerunner to some of the action film. I didn't. I felt like they didn't. You know, like Alfred Hitchcock was in love with the, the, the 50 millimeter shot. I mean, everything was 50 millimeter. Uh, there was some wide shots. There was best layering of, of stuff. So I, I feel like this is sort of like they was moving the bar a little bit on the cinema, whoever mm -hmm. the cinematographer was in terms of mixing his lenses, uh, especially a more wider lens. Because I noticed, I, like if you watch some of those, especially the Hitchcock stuff, it, it's all like 50 millimeter. Now, let me tell you what, uh, let me tell you the other side of the movie that I feel. I thought it was a bit confusing. You had to watch what was going on. And even if you did watch it, it was kind of hard to understand what was going on. And there were a lot of times when they just, like they showed him getting out of bed. And I think for me, I, maybe that was, they're trying to tell something about him when he's getting out of the bed. But I didn't see that. I didn't get that at all. I just felt like this is time wasted. Part of this movie felt like, there were certain scenes and certain things that happened, and we're going to talk about it. The the car car chase. We we all know that's an amazing car chase. By the way, the director, this guy was actually Peter Yates was actually a, a race car driver too. So I see for me a lot of this centered around that race through the city, which is which is amazing, and it is basically classic, and it's something that is. To me, it's like Jimi Hendrix playing the guitar. You know, uh, Jimi Hendrix was a pioneer. He did such an amazing, wild stuff nobody had ever seen. But today, Jimi Hendrix, you know, everybody tried to imitate Jimi Hendrix, so we're all kind of tired of it. And now we have to find new things in guitar and in cinematography because this scene's amazing. But for me, the film felt like a one-trick pony, which this they were concentrating on this, which is about dead center in the movie. And then uh, there's little chunks of things that go on. And another thing, there were people in this, like the Robert Vaughn character. So I didn't think the politics in it, I didn't really think that it was about dirty cops. It looked like it was more about the politics that go on in cities because you kept trying to have, uh, you know, the bullet, the Lieutenant Bullet try to uh, get on the gravy train with, uh, with Robert Vaughn's uh, political character. And, uh, you know, Steve McQueen, you know, Bullet is just too freaking cool for that crap to happen. He's going to be, you know, no, nah, man, I'm a moan guy, dude. Leave me alone. So that all took place. But we had all these little – Jacqueline Bissett was wasted. She's a gorgeous woman, but I wouldn't have hired her to act after that movie because she doesn't do – I mean, she's just set dressing. 
And I think there's other characters that are um, that are the same way in there. Uh, I loved. That I love Snitch guy with the giant glasses, the giant like bug eye glasses. <laughs> I mean, that dude was simply placed to be like, we're styling. You know, like <laughs> look at our movie. There's, you know, there's there's some uh, was it call girls or strippers or something on the sign behind them, you know, and it's just like, you know, this is, you know, we're seedy, we're dirty, we're edgy, you know, and it's just like ah, you know, that why is this happening? You know, well, why are these you know, guys friends? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And well, but of course, you know, that's Bullet's kind of hip, you know. He's 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 cool and hip, and he he has these informers that are, you know, the seedy, you know, grindy sure. people. But, the underbelly, you know, yeah. Hey, hook me up with you know, help my brother. You know, what is it? My help my cousin out or something? Is that was the, what that was all about? And and the end, I'm going to say I really enjoyed the end, the airport. But even I just felt like they stretched it out really long. It's almost like there was a, you know, we have to have this much time in this movie, and I felt like a lot of times. They were, you know, stretching it out a little, watching the clock. Well, and I think Heat does that. Uh, everybody here's seen Heat. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pretty sure that the the scene at the end of Heat is that not is that what I'm thinking of? That's an homage to this. Is that it's De Niro, Pacino? Yeah, I don't know. At the yeah, is, yeah. That, is that it? Yeah. So, I think the addressing a couple of your points is him in. Uh, getting out of bed was sort of to show how obsessed he was with his work and that he was, he was exhausted, but he was going to get up and he was going to, that was what I took out of it. It's just, uh, uh, his work was all consuming is from the moment he gets up to the moment he goes to bed. And the Jacqueline Bassett character was sort of like the, you're going, you're getting into a deeper and deeper, deeper hole by doing this the way you're doing it. You need to get out of it and sort of, I, I took her as sort of a viewpoint of of an average, not average. She was not average by any stretch no. of imagination, but she would be what any wife would be in that situation. You're you're getting into a deeper and deeper hole by doing this. That was what and I took out of it. She was there for one scene and one line. You know, honestly, you know where where she says she goes, "What about us? What about our, our future? Whatever." And he's like, "Our future starts now." You know, or the, or the, you know, and just basically he's saying, look, this, take it or leave it. This is me. And it was just to show that commitment, I think, that Norbert was talking about. But I know that your listeners don't know Pat and I's long running disagreement on absolutely everything, but I'm going to agree with Pat <laughs> on this one. I oftentimes felt like I was running to catch up. I think this was an experiment in first person perspective filmmaking and bringing the audience in and making them a part of this thing as opposed to being on the outside looking in and i think i think they did an interesting job with that but i definitely don't think the mastery was quite there i'm thinking back to a movie that came out several years ago uh called end of watch and it had like this almost single shot thing where they tracked these two cops throughout their day and was very involved in your face and at the beginning of it you were very like oh but by the end they kind of brought you in and I never really felt like I knew what was going on it, because as soon as I know, and, and I said something to Pat, eloquent crypticness, that is all, this, this is like a study in that. I don't even know if that's a thing, but this was one of the most, it, it was one of the most cryptically cut. And I don't know if it was shot this way, if it was edited this way. So you've got all these these hypercritical things that are very important to the exposition of the story that we don't spend any time on at all. And so I don't know if those really long plotting shots are there for us to just maybe catch our breath, you know, get in tune with what's going on. Maybe they're they're paced in there. Unfortunately, as I wanted, I went into this wanting to love this movie. I wanted to come out of this saying this changed, you know, which I love cinema. I love movies. You know, you guys know that, but. I wanted to come out of this loving it, and I just didn't. I saw what they were going for. I see this movie's influence on later movies, especially into the '70s. That gritty cop, you know, Dirty Harry, you know, uh, uh, Walking Walking Tall, you know, that, that whole, you know, that whole genre of movies probably came at least in owes at least something to this, um, and probably action movies today do too. But but this one just kind of left me flat. So. I said I'm going to offer a different perspective on those long shots and the shots getting out of the bed. Um, one of the things that I think for me was a really interesting take in this movie was there is a specific time frame that they're trying to show you 
throughout this film, right? So the events of this film take place over the course of like three days, four days. One weekend, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so I think there's a very heavy reliance in my mind on those long shots, on the shots of him getting out of bed, of those the sort of the mundane aspects of the, the day in an effort to kind of say, hey, look, look at how obsessed this guy is. This is how fast he's moving on this. And, and I think those shots help frame the, the larger sort of um, takeaway, which was that was Bullet a good cop or a bad cop? I don't know. But man, that guy was obsessed with, with rectifying the situation. And maybe that to me was sort of the, the idea was, was the, the depth of an obsession or the depth of the of an need to solve the, the case the mystery. I think by and large, it I can see what they're doing, but I think it hurts the film in a lot of ways. Because I think it muddles sort of the the timeline in which the events take place so that it is confusing. Right? And so the big the big payoff at the end of ha ha ha, he was he's not on this plane to Rome, he's on this plane to London, for me kinda lost its flair it lost its ability to be a bigger gotcha moment because like you mike and and like you pat i was just trying to figure out what the hell was going on and try to try and follow along so um yeah but i I think that time is is a is an important player and factor in what they're trying to do with the storytelling thinking back on it there were a lot of shots i don't even know if we saw his watch or read his watch but his watch played a part in, you saw his watch quite often throughout the, I, I remember that, that old school bubble lens, you know, and I, and I just remember distinctly that watch was in a lot of frames. That's an interesting point that time was a character here. Yeah, you know? yeah and, that, it is. and that's what made me think of it because one of the weird things that I noticed was what you just said, Mike, which was like, he has a watch on throughout a lot of it. And it's not that he just has a watch on, but that there's this subtle there's these subtle movements where you see the watch, but he's never really paying attention to it, right? Yeah. But, he, but there's enough there's enough shots of them, you know, purposely flashing that watch that it's like, okay, like clearly clearly there's an element of time here that you want us to focus on or pay attention to. And I don't even remember noting the brand of the watch. It wasn't like a product placement type of deal from James Bond. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I recognize that it's as a Timex style from that period, but you know, they weren't selling a watch. You know, that's that's a really cool point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I liked about it, I, I I wonder if it part of it is plays against what we normally see. For example, like I said, when we watch something procedurally like that, how often do you really have any sort of confusion? and any sort of sense of where things are going to end. I had, I, I just, I was flabbergasted that things kept going south and south and south and south and south for for uh, uh, Steve McQueen's character, Bullet. I, I just, I was like, he just get, he's getting deeper and deeper. They're going to pin this all on him. And how's he going to get out of this? How's, how is this going to, how, how's this going to resolve? And I was, I'm so used to watching stuff and going, Okay, well, this is how this is going to resolve within you know a half an hour, and I don't know how many movies you watch and you go, I don't know where this is going, and I wonder how much of that plays against because you're so used to as a as a matter of what you view, you have a sense of where things going to end uh, half. I mean, before halfway through, and I had no idea how this was going to resolve itself. Yeah, For me, I liked it because it wasn't yeah, formulaic at all. You know, I mean, it really, it had a ton of ambiguity all the way through. There was a tangible ambiguity to the whole thing, you know, that did keep me want. Yeah. Hey, I watched the whole thing, you know, and I, I will say as much as I may be critical of this film, I think anybody who considers them a student of movies of filmmaking of, of, I mean, this is, if it's not on uh, AMC's top 100 or AMA's top 100, I'd be shocked, but yeah, it definitely violates formula. It definitely surprised me. Um, but yeah, it's still, I'm still a, a bit critical of it, but you know, that's, well, that was I, just I, my experience with it. Also too, you have to understand that a lot of the, you know, 
like I think, Mike, you said earlier, you know, this was sort of the forerunner for um, a lot of those gritty, realistic cop films of the 70s. But what you have to remember is prior to that, the 60s, a lot of the cop films are sanitized, right? So a lot of the, a lot of the films about police officers, especially procedural, are sort of these sanitized, happy versions of what it's like to be a police officer in the 1960s. And I think, Norbert, you mentioned earlier on that that grittiness um, uh, plays a huge factor in, in just sort of showcasing. One of the things I think about, too, with, with the film is that the city itself is, is a character. That, that they, the, a lot of the shots that they take, even Pat, you mentioned the, the initial shot. I love that. That, that opening was, was so cool. And to me, in my mind, it sort of helped put me in a mindset that, hey, the city of San Francisco itself is going to be a character, right? That all these locations and all the things that all the yeah, places no, still, the yeah. terrain. Yeah. Are, yeah, exactly. They're all, I mean, they're, they're, they are characters within this tapestry and this larger uh, story, which I think plays into the grittiness of what San Francisco in 1968 is like, you know? You know, you think about 1968 is the height of Ashburyan height and the hippie movement and the student movement and the Vietnam, uh, you know, protests and, and all this stuff and corruption and all these things. And I, I think that the movie really sort of captures that. Although I do think that to some degree it becomes a little incoherent in parts of it. And using San Francisco as a backdrop, of course, was good. Although I think the reason that they did it is because what is a better place to have a cool-ass chase scene in San Francisco, the, the hills and valleys of San Francisco, through the city? That was just amazing. But I want to bring up another point. I understand what you guys are saying, and I, if I look at the film, I can see through the film what we find is Bullet is uh, – Lieutenant Bullet is – he really doesn't seem to care a lot about human life because the, the cop that gets shot in the very beginning, then the guy that dies, the, you know, the guy that's supposed to be the witness, he dies and he does something kind of unheard of with that guy. And I think this was supposed to be stressed. I think, I think they didn't do their due diligence to stress that because when his girlfriend comes in after that girl's been killed and she basically just says, you know, you don't feel anything for these people. And I think if if they'd have done their job and made me feel more about how this guy Bullet, Lieutenant Bullet, was uh, was treating these people, then I think I would have felt. I think that was a that would have been such a great line. But as it was, when she came and yelled, I was like, "Bitch, get out of here! I'm doing my job," you know. And that's exactly what I thought. It's like, you know, why is she bugging him? <clears throat> why did she even follow him here? You know, she shouldn't have come in. He told her not to. That felt so staged and it felt so play. Uh, you know, I felt I don't like it when they try, you know, when I feel like they're trying to show something to me. I really felt like there they were trying to show something to me. Well, like I said, I mean, that's why she's in the movie is that so she goes and sees the thing so they can have the drive so they can go down to the beach so she can, you know, ask him about the future. And he's like, the future starts now, you know, yeah. or, you know, and it's just like, okay, like. <laughs> I do want to talk about one one thing because I know we're going to get to the chase scene and, and I, we all have I know we all have our dogs dogs in that hunt but <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Corey's t conversation about how you know he was a different kind of of cop and this was a different kind of cop movie. There was an interesting, very protracted scene where they go through a ton of expositional dialogue when they dig through the luggage. I mean, that was almost like watching an old, you know, a very dry episode of MASH. It's like suture, suture, you know, and they're just like, you know, he's like uh, one wallet, one wallet, you know, and they just kind of go through that whole thing and very robotically and yet still tell that story. So I thought it was interesting that it, that I think they felt they needed to put that in to add that traditional element of investigation to sell his legitimacy as who we are, the audience are supposed to perceive him to be, Right. And I thought that because when Corey was talking about how he was a, you know, a different kind of a newer kind of cop, and this was a newer kind of cop movie, they still felt that it was necessary 
to to really shoehorn that scene in there because it wasn't natural it wasn't organic it, it was just, it wasn't but i i agree yeah. I, I see what you're saying Absolutely. yeah and I, I would argue and say i felt the same way about his wife i felt like they put her in there as sort of uh, a way to uh hearken to that traditional sort of detective because oh interesting about, in, in my mind the whole movie is a demonstration of Bullet's obsession with getting the right guy, right? But but then you have but, so a guy like that who's clearly married to the job doesn't seem rational that he would even have a wife. And to me, why she felt so out of place and she felt so awkward was they were just like, oh well, he's a cop. It's nineteen sixty eight. He can't be single. He's got to have a wife, you know. And so they put her in there with very little dialogue, no meaningful dialogue in that weird scene as sort of a way to, I guess, in my mind, maybe show just how obsessed he is. Like, hey, look, Bullock's got this beautiful wife at home. And look, at he's so obsessed with, with his job that he can't even pay attention to that. And the whole thing just falls apart with her. Just makes it feel real mm-hmm. awkward and bored. Did, did, did we know for sure that that was a wife? See, and I definitely got that it was... It was I, I get what Corey's saying, but I really thought it was a, a girl. I definitely thought it was a girlfriend. And so I thought there was a little taboo there sort of thing to it. So it's traditional, yeah. but it's non-traditional, you know. Yeah, so. I, I thought it was a wife, but but I could be totally wrong. I, I don't, again, I don't really think that, I don't, I didn't really think to look for a ring, to be honest with you. Well, but because because we were looking at the watch, you know. The scene, the scene <laughs> when he wake, wakes up in bed, I thought, usually if they wanted us to know he had a wife, she would have been next to him. So that's well, what I made think me she think. was at least she wasn't one one of his well, no, yeah I sh- yeah they yeah they slept it was uh you know they were living in sin on time at times you know but uh but when he wakes up in bed that very first time it's oh, just right him. Cause the, yeah because the guy comes in and like drinks his milk or something like yeah, or something yeah <laughs> so one of the things I was wondering is is the is the is the luggage scene the first scene in which anything goes right for for bullet and he got the clue that of the wrong name because the chase scene didn't end it, it the way it ended didn't help him at all right so I, i'm trying to think nothing goes i mean it basically things go bad 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 and as i'm trying to think is is the suitcase scene towards the very end is he is is like the one clue that he gets to figure out that maybe there's they can salvage this thing, and that's, that's true. what with yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because maybe. nothing, nothing that's, went well at the hospital. Like every single interaction he had was, I mean, he got on with the he got on with the doctor, and there was definitely there was a there was definitely a a, a racial statement being made there. You know, there were there were some mm-hmm. interesting layers going on um, with. I mean, there were there were point, there were flat out racist statements made about the doctor. Um, and he, you know, and, and he treated the doctor as an equal and they, you know, they talked to one another, you know, very candidly. And even that didn't go in hit in particularly in bullets favor either. So that's a good point. No, that's true. Robert. One, of the, one of the positive <laughs> interactions he had with people. That's why I, I wonder if that's part of what makes people uncomfortable about this movie, because nothing goes right for what 80, 90% of the movie. I mean, yeah. uh, I all these events just. I mean, you could think if you think about it, even the ending doesn't go. Doesn't yeah, the ending well. doesn't go real well. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> like if you no. think about it, he ends up killing the guy that he was technically was supposed to protect. I mean, and in my mind, that got lost throughout. Like after I watched it, I was thinking about all these other things, and then I, I was thinking about it, and I end up watching it again, and they go, "Oh yeah." He off the guy that technically he was supposed to be watching, like, and, and I don't know if maybe all of that is just over if that all that's set up to just show like maybe how shitty of a person Bullet is, or maybe how married to the job or the situation is. was, yeah, or the I mean, yeah, situation, but I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it, you're right. It, even though he, bre- I mean, it breaks enough that he may not lose his job. Because he up until that time he's losing his job. Oh sure. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, and it makes me, huh? Yeah, and it makes me wonder if maybe you know he's not on the, on the out, 
already before the film starts, you know? Yeah, uh, he's, he might have been on shaky ground. I thought he was like a decorated officer. Yeah, because you know? like the remember the uh, Pat, you you knew the guy's name. Uh, the attorney asked for the best, and Robert Vaughn. yeah, and so Robert Vaughn's character had asked for the best. The chief had put Bullet's name out, Bullet, and it wasn't it, a, a key point. Is it wasn't just Bullet; it was Bullet's team. They didn't point that out. They said Bullet, but when Bullet showed up, Bullet showed up with a team of people, you know, that that helped him be good at his job. And you know what? As he started, as those team members started to fall away, his days started going, or his weekends started getting worse. You know. So maybe that's maybe that's some of the point that we missed too. So yeah, that's a good point. Maybe he was only as good as his team. Right. Yeah. One thing I appreciate about the character, and I'm kind of surprised they didn't do a another movie with the character. But maybe, you know, maybe it was time for him to retire. I don't know. But the character uh Bullet was uh like the the stuff in the hospital, the things that he did in the hospital to keep everything going, I just thought was were just wild. I thought, you know, this is really interesting what he's Dude, doing. That was cool. I yeah. really like that was that was some really outside of the box thinking that I didn't see coming, and it really, I mean, that really set the whole thing in motion. You know, and I and I like he didn't know who to trust, and so he trusted nobody. You know, and that was very cool. The thing I liked about his character. And this kind of leads me to the Steve McQueen thing. I had the only other movie I had seen him in was the uh, great escape. And I really didn't from that movie. I didn't get Steve McQueen, the cultural icon, but this movie, I sort of got it. But the thing that I liked about the character is as the pressure kept mounting and things go, kept going bad and bad and bad. He just, he just kept digging in. I mean, he kept digging. He yeah. kept, you know, and I, 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 I appreciated that part of his character. He, he was, even though things were, he was, you know, likely to, to get fried by Robert Vaughn, he was just still going to keep, keep after it. So if this was made in 1990, who do you think would play Bullet? Are you asking us who, who we would cast or who? Yeah, do you who think would you cast Hollywood as would Bullet? Yeah. Who would you cast? 1990? In 1990? Like Kevin Costner, like, like 1990. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Costner, probably. Yeah, I think you're right, Norbert. That's uh, not. I would. I'll tell you who I would like to. I I could see Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, really. Russell in that role. Yeah, I think you're right. I I went right to Bruce Willis. Oh yeah. But yeah, yeah I, that's a different guy than 2021 Bruce Willis. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. You know, the, the the 2021 Bruce Willis is more like Nick Cage. Okay. Yes. So. <laughs> that would we'll actually be cool. Food. Nick Cage. That would be a cool bullet character. He'd have yeah. to be like coked out and tripping, but that'd be great. No, so he wouldn't have to do anything. No, I do have. A, <laughs> I've got a 2021 so that I would Nick give you. Cage, Nick Cage 1990 or Nick Cage now. Because there's different versions of Nicolas Cage that, that would fit, and then there's versions that would not fit. <laughs> I, I really think I think Nick Cage now could pull it off. See, I, I think, think Nick Cage now could pull it off. I don't think Nick Cage in 1990 could. No. I think Matt Damon now. Ah. No, I, think I think Matt so. Damon is probably the one of the most boring action heroes that have ever hit the screen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, we're was Bullet in Steve. Yeah. So was Steve McQueen in Bullet. He was the most boring action figure, action character I've ever watched. He himself, his performance, not not that it was bad, it was just dull. It was it was plotting wow. and you know just He was pensive, Michael. He was pensive, okay? Okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> I really don't think that Matt Damon excites himself when he, he acts. I just... <laughs> <laughs> so the chase. Yeah. What do you guys think about the chase? I think the first thing you got to think about is 1968 cars versus 2020 yeah. cars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You I don't have near the handling, the braking. I waited the oh. whole chase to see the the um, the hubcap file. Yes. Oh, yes. I was so waiting for that. And it did only oh. one. 
and I, that was appropriate. It wasn't like you know gratuitous or anything. It was very cool. I, my favorite part of 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 the well, not my favorite part, but a part that I enjoyed a lot was when he when the bad guy fastens his seatbelt before yes. he starts the chase. Yeah, I I thought that was cool. It's like okay, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt, but now I, I was thinking. Wow, that's so weird. Just like the air, the airport scene, it was just so weird because that's not how we do things. <laughs> well, and the uh, the Volkswagen Beetle. Do you guys remember seeing the Volkswagen Beetle? They're flying around. It it was weird because it showed up a couple times in a different spot. I saw so a couple I, vehicles do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you know how you know the reason why that happened is because so Steve McQueen's production company is the one that, that put the film together. And, and Steve McQueen himself was the one who actually convinced the mayor of San Francisco to open up all the hospitals, police stations, and the streets to do that chase scene. And, and, and I couldn't, the only thing I couldn't find was whether or not they cut people, like they, they coordinated off the areas. Because for a lot of that chase scene, it looks like they're really racing cars on an actual, you know, busy sure. street in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and people are just walking around, and these cars, you know, some guy in his fucking Beatles trying to find a parking spot in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> There's this, like, weird ordinariness to that chase scene that's like, holy fuck, there's no, you could you can recreate that today. Well, I think like there was a coronet that showed up like three that they passed three or four <laughs> times, you know. Uh, but the 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 be, the very beginning of the chase when Steve McQueen appears in the rearview mirror. Now that annoyed me because they'd given me nothing to work with as as an audience member to understand that he was that that's what he was that's what his move was. It was still cool, but it was annoying. But the the actual cinematography of that mirror work. That was that, and it seemed like it was practical. That was baller. That was a very, very cool move on their part to to set the stage for what was about to go on. And you just knew you had they built a real sense of anticipation about what was about to happen, and that was very, very cool. Along that line, one of the things that I've found interesting is how understated everybody was about the Ho Chi chase scene. The the villains and Steve McQueen, they were just all like. This is this is this is Tuesday. This is what right. we do on Tuesday. <laughs> That's what we do. Well, it was interesting too that we had these uh, mobsters from uh, Jersey, right, or was it New York? I can't remember. Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah. Well, there you go. I totally screwed that. The home of good uh, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Joanne really wasn't watching the sh- movie too closely, but when that chasing came on. She had to watch it. Yeah. And she was like, oh, oh, you know. <laughs> now I'm thinking about what you said, Norbert, about how nothing went right. I definitely can feel it because I kept, every time something would happen, I go, I'd always say to myself, now what? And at the end of the chase, I go, now what? I mean, are we, are we done? What's <laughs> going on here? Yeah. I, uh, his proof of what was going on. Gone. Gone. Yeah, Absolutely. I will say this. Um, I feel like personally for me, I love the chasing. I thought it was cool. The problem for me as a modern viewer, having never seen Bullet, is that I've seen that chasing before in a lot of movies. Sure. And that that just sucks because I could just see, you know, if I was watching it for the first time in 1968, holy shit, I would geek out. Like that would just be like, whoa. This It'd is be amazing. like Star Wars. Yeah, it would how they got yeah. those cameras in the places the, the Pan, Panaflex cameras are massive. I have no yeah. idea how they got the shots they did. Yeah, and I just and it's and it's almost like to me when I watched it, it was cool and I loved it, but it was a little bit of a disappointment because I'm like, oh well, fuck! I've watched forty plus years of movies that have already done this, you know, and so it's like, I mean, every Michael Bay film. Uh, you know, watch, watch Bad Boys, you know, like, I, I so it was, it was a little bit disappointing to me, not in a negative way, it's not a knock against the film, it's not a criticism of the film, it's just like one of those things where it'd be like, fuck, it'd be really cool to not ever, not having ever seen this film, go yeah. back and watch yeah. it, you know, when it came out, because I think that would have been just fucking mind-blowing. Not seeing the history so, that it spawned, you know? Right, yeah. right. 
wasn't uh, speaking of Nick Cage, wasn't it gone in 60 seconds? Eleanor? I mean, just watched it. Eleanor, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, that, that harkens back. You know those guys watched Bullet before they filmed that. <laughs> oh, they, yeah. How did you die? Yeah. The interesting thing is, though, so, so the uh, so a couple things I do know about that particular GT, I don't I don't know the specifics of the modifications. They they specifically souped that Mustang up and beefed it up. They beefed up its suspension, its brakes, its, its rear end, and they did a ton of work to it to make it still look factory. That was one of the major keys and that was yeah. a thing that in my research that, that McQueen was all about was, you know, realism, right? He wanted that, that uh, willing suspension of realism type disbelief, you know, when, it, when he made a movie. And uh, so it was very important that the cars look stock, even though they're not really. Now, Eleanor in Gone in 60 Seconds is lowered, stretched, widened, you know, right. uh, 1967 Shelby Mustang GT, which was not what... Uh, um, right bullet was driving but yeah yeah i i like that part of it too as well uh mike i thought that was really cool i also thought it was interesting in my research that uh one of the big criticisms of 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 the movie at the time the critics was uh the sound of the the chase but the speaking really? of ear yeah um a lot a lot of a lot of critics argued that there was too much shifting um that that uh, that that the shifting of the gears didn't match what it would have been like to drive a vehicle like that, uh, which I thought was a weird fucking uh, criticism of, well, of a film. Yeah, how yeah, many like, people can make that criticism? I mean, right. unless you're a race car driver, how, how many right. people on the on the earth is going to go? Oh, well, that's obviously fake. You know, well, but, right. but, like was the movie so great that the only thing you could criticize was the shifting sounds or the chase scene that in and of itself was revolutionary? I mean, come on, give me a break. I think they've even, I kind of remember, uh, not McQueen so much. Actually, no, I do remember seeing both drivers shift occasionally. Like you could see their wheel work, you could see their shifting. I think there was even some kind of first person view to that. And I never, I never once recall being probably of this group of people the biggest fan of action movies i don't recall anything in that that was off-putting to me in any way i really yeah. don't i mean if you put yourself in the headspace of the time and even without doing that because i can't tell you that i maintained headspace of the time while i was watching it and i was still engaged in that in that sequence so we have to remember too this movie was directed by a racer I mean, the guy that directed sure. the movie yeah. is a race car driver. And right. Steve McQueen is a race car driver. So uh, I'm going to say a lot of gearheads watch this just for that scene. And you know how people are. You know, uh, that doesn't sound like that. You know, so I, I don't know. And sometimes I think people as as will be overly critical just to be critical, too. Sure. You know, yeah. just to say, well, and if you I saw something you didn't see out of that. You know, I'm obviously the expert. And especially in a time when, you know, blockbusters weren't a thing yet, you know, so you've got, you've got essentially what would qualify as a blockbuster by today's standards being shown to an audience not ready for that. And at the very least, I'm sure the audience was ready for it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have watched this movie because it wouldn't have been successful and, and beloved as it was. But critics can pan it all they want, but, you know, just because it doesn't fit their mold of what makes good film. Yeah, you know, most of the time I don't agree with the critics anyway. So I was going to say, I don't, I don't find critics to be of, of any real value to be truthful with you said i mean look at every single award show in the last sure. 10 15 years you know movies are there are movies winning awards i'm like i've never heard of that or i've never seen that or that's not even on my radar and i've tried to be somebody who who you know i don't know every movie that comes out but i i do try to pay attention to, to what comes out well i think there's also a uh cultural bias in in uh people that typically review this stuff and are involved with this and there's a whole lot of how can i say this there's a lot of a pressure put to to people to vote uh you know by certain studios at certain times so i i don't even hardly look at that stuff anymore i mean you know it's, I, I find it irrelevant yeah you know it, it all comes down to irrelevant. It all comes down to like what you like. Yep. Um, 
Bullet was okay, and I love older movies. I friggin' love them. I just watched Sunset Boulevard, which was a very old movie. It was in the 50s, just this weekend, and I thought it was fantastic. I love old movies. I love old black and white movies, but I'm not going to love them all. You know, I, I, I like Bullet. I think that I've seen things that I've liked more. I, it, You know, what's great about talking about this is that I see a lot more about this movie by talking to you guys about this. I, I get what you're saying. S- still, doesn't, still doesn't make it a good movie for me, but I, I, I really understand more about this flick, I think. I'm glad we did this just because we all saw it. We all appreciated it on some level. And like, when when you know Corey brings up the time and and uh, Norbert brings up the the you know just how how stacked the deck is against this guy you know and and just hell I may watch it again yeah. you know just to see you know with the with that fresh take on it you know what did I miss you so. won't see it on HBO Max though <laughs> <laughs> it is gone so yeah and here's the thing I, I think they cycle those in and out. My guess is you'll probably, yeah. you know, three, six months, they'll pop it back in. And, but anyway, I I will say for me, I liked it for for a couple reasons. But one of them was just playing against my expectations. Uh, and I, I find the routine of, of a lot of fair, the, the homogenized um, factory widgets that's being produced, boring. And at least from this part, I was I was like, how's this gonna work out? I, I I had that all the way through. How's this how's this gonna work out? And as yeah. as I think Corey mentioned it in the end, it really sort only sort of worked <laughs> out. It didn't really work out. So yeah, because it makes me think about defend, okay, am I really right or is my first is it just the mood I'm in when I'm watching it? Because that oh, can yeah. affect me too. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, uh, you know, Pat and I have had this conversation a lot, and I will say I, I, I liked the film, but like you, Norbert, for me, the ending was, was what really sealed it for me because I really do appreciate film, and especially a, a film as old as this one, where it wasn't a happy ending because, because the reality is the end, like I said, he technically kills the guy he was supposed to protect, and you know when that when the movie's end when the movie's over, I could just imagine Bullet being in a world of shit. He's probably gonna lose his job. He's probably gonna lose his girlfriend. You know, like, and 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 so to me, I like that level of realism. Not it's not to the level of the mist, but but you know, given its time <laughs> and place, I really can't appreciate you know just that that sort of ending as realistic as it is. It, this movie couldn't be made today, not oh, outside yeah, yeah. of uh, independent film uh, uh, with a, a minuscule budget because they'd focus test the, bo- the the ending and they'd change it. Well, and the, and the actual the final the final shot, I, I will say that that movie ended exactly like it began. Like you know that movie ended just as cryptic, just as just as, yeah. as virile, just as, as textured as it began. It was just like, cause every single one of us have had that, that, you know, that, that morning, you know, you're just right. And yeah, that, that was cool. I dug that. And I, and I wonder if it wasn't, it's not one of those films that every once in a while you see a film that, that basically does a really good job of sort of plopping right down in the middle of a larger story. You know what I mean? And I, and for me, I kind of get the sense that, Part of the reason why I thought about the time aspect is that, in my mind, this is a film about one very small slice of, of Bullet's life, right? That there's a whole life, movies that you could make before this, you know, movie, and movies you could make after. And this is just a big, you know, just little little snippet of, of his life. I get that, yeah. That, that's, that's very interesting. I, I, one of the things so, that I was thinking about, as, as you guys were saying this, one final thing. Do you think that this movie sort of begat Rockford? Because Rockford always was uh, the Rockford TV series where, and it was in the 70s, I believe, yeah. where he was always up against it. It never really worked. It, it's probably before Corey's time, but uh, no, I, know, I remember. I but I remember that series. He was always like getting beat up. He was always, his, his stuff was going sideways. 
And I'm wondering if that was kind of a precursor because that was a few years before that TV series came out. I think it's a precursor to a lot. Norbert, I think you watch Bosch. You watch Bosch on mm-hmm. yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Very much that vibe. Like I, I really got the the Titus Welliver character is just he's got that same brooding, quiet, yeah, angry. Yeah, that's feel. a good that's a good analogy. Yeah. So I have a relentless. Question. Yeah, sure. Dogged. Yeah. To yeah. In in that vein, do you see uh, do you see Lieutenant Bullet as sort of an antihero? Oh yeah, as you, as you as like, but I mean like, not not I guess not to the degree or the the extent as you would say, you know, Bosch, but like because for me, watching Bosch, he's very clearly he's an antihero, right? Like he's sure. very much a, but this one I think is maybe that's the that's what they were going for. They didn't know they were going for it, or maybe antiheroes, you know, weren't really thought about or, or something to that degree, but I, I yeah, think I, I... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I, I think during that time, there was not very many of those kind of characters. That was the begots right. of, you, as, as we've all said, the Dirty Harrys, the Death Wishes, the... Sure. Yeah. But, but Mike's right. Bosch is the most probably the closest to the Steve McQueen archetype to yeah. me. So as a footnote, before we wrap this up, I wanted to say pretty cool watching uh, Robert Duvall in a bit part. Yeah. I thought that was oh, cool. Yeah. He was in a car movie. Star. In a yeah. car movie. <laughs> yeah. And the guy Every from Three's Company. Sure. Norman Fell was in there. And yeah. uh, Roper? actually, Roper? yes. Yes. Alice, Alice's restaurant. Vic Tabak was in oh, it. Oh yeah, it was Mel. Yeah, and he was in this. It's great because I think Norman Fell played a cop, which was hilarious to me, just because I know him from uh, Three's Company. And Vic Tabak played a mobster. He was actually the the brother. So oh, I thought yeah. that was pretty cool too. Yeah, wow. I couldn't. I couldn't place that. I couldn't place the cop that was uh, Mr. Roper. I knew I knew yeah. him somewhere, and I knew it wasn't that kind of role. Like I was surprised at the character that he played. You know, yeah, very much. That's very cool. All right, guys. Well, hopefully, uh, uh, we get to see each other at Thursday lunch. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey, hey. You're too late.